and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 132. I'm your host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always... Uh, back from the dead once again, Famo Master, David McCormick. And over in here in Japan, without the world's cutest little co-host today, oh. Michael Bay. Can't believe we yeah, have to play that. She's out shopping with Mommy. Nice. And Grandma. And Aunt. That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, but they're about to put down like $300 on a new dining room table, so I'm like, okay. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we do need kind of, we do kind of need a new one, but meh. at the same time, I keep thinking, just give me the th- if you gave me the thirty thousand yen, I could go buy a switch and a couple games. Aha. I'm that not going to say that to her. I'm but not you're thinking it really loud. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> but at least it's something useful instead of like a rear drive rear. Um, portion drive recorder for the car. Uh, I don't even have a guess as to what that is. Uh, it's a little camera to make sure that if somebody rear-ends you, you have photographic evidence. Uh, oh, wow. That's pretty sweet. Hmm. That's one of those things that you hope is never useful at any point. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, I was gone for the initial recording last week. I snuck in near the end. Uh, my streak technically remains unbroken on numbered episodes. <laughs> well, that's true. Good work. Gotta keep the streak. I'm just about to mash Goldberg. Um, uh, and you're, let's see, uh, I don't know, about 2,000 away from, um, what's his name? The guy that passed Lou Gehrig. Oh, God. I forget. I, I don't want to think about You're it. You're talking baseball, I don't know. Yes, okay. Talk softball from Talk softball. Okay, I'll stop. Tim Griffey's grotesquely swollen jump. Okay. Right, that's uh, a question. Okay. We have to? <laughs> sure. From Budai. Sure, sure. What, what do you think Sega, including Atlas, feel is their most important brand and series at the moment Sonic. in the future? Okay, well, all right. That's quick. Well, for Sega, yeah. For Atlas, it has to be Persona and Megaten in general. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Persona with Megaten, it's like a attached to the hip. It's still important, but it's probably less important to them than... Yeah. Persona uh, has taken over the meta-series. Yeah. Like, that's that's the one that, like, leads the franchise, and then the other things follow it, whereas it used to be the main line that led the franchise and other things followed it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, definitely Sonic. Um one of these is getting a big-budget Hollywood movie that looks horrendous, but still a big-budget Hollywood movie, and one of these is not. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you wanted a third place, or at least a second place from Sega's perspective, it's probably Yakuza, but... Definitely Yakuza, because Yakuza has received a movie version before. Yeah, and a pretty good movie at that. Hmm. It's uh, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. That's the main Kashi reason Mike. I know anything about the series storyline is just watching the first movie yeah which like is so bizarre because like it is a portion a fair portion of the first game storyline sandwiched around a completely unrelated Takashi Miike plot which is very good yeah but yeah I still like I wasn't here last week to ramble about that at least my time last week was not spent rambling about that but I cannot get over the fact that Yakuza's director, one, convinced the 
uh, like got permission to call Dragon Quest out by name as like the main character's favorite game, and two, <laughs> repositioned the entire combat system to turn the game into a Dragon Quest parody. Yes. Insane that that was allowed to happen. Well, are we talking about um, the the game about the like middle aged salaryman something quest? Uh, no, no, I am talking about Yakuza Seven. <laughs> Yakuza Seven's okay. combat is clearly designed to position it as the Dragon Quest parody, and the lead character, like, oh, what's why am I uh, Yoshi uh, Tagashi Tagashi, who directs the franchise sought permission from Square Enix to name-drop Dragon Quest in specific because Kasuga Ijiban, the protagonist of Seven, his favorite game is Dragon Quest. It's, like, the only thing that brought him joy as a child. And, like, that is why the combat system is also a turn-based affair. <laughs> Truly insane. <laughs> Sweet. I, I still have no idea how that... Like, that... Normally, a company looks at one of their biggest franchises and, like, changing the protagonist is already dangerous enough, but then saying, also, we're changing the genre. <laughs> well, again, plot-wise, they're not changing the, the story yeah. genre at all, and Yakuza is very much a game about its story. Yeah, that's how, that's how they've been positioning it as well. It's like, you know, yeah. it's still got that Yakuza style to it. It's just also a turn-based Dragon Quest parody now. And, I mean, it's still... I mean, you have people walking by on the street in real time around the fight. Which is also beautiful. And enemies who wander too close, to, or who wander close enough to notice the fight, will run over to join in. Also, sometimes they spit green mist. Sure. Because uh, you never know what they're... You never know what they're drinking. Yeah, well, it's, a the game that it's you, also a... Hmm? Uh, the game that you accidentally reminded me of which I, I was, sorry, I was focusing yeah, on no, once, okay. was a game called Dandy Dungeon, Legend of Brave Yamada. From oh yeah, Onion. I know about Dandy Dungeon. Yeah, Onion Games. Yeah. Uh, I, I had been, I just recently been reminded that it existed, and it is such a blatant Dragon Quest parody. And speaking of Onion Games... Oh yeah! We all uh, did not know about Moon Remix RPG, so... Nope. You didn't? What, no. Oh. Well, as it turns out, the uh, I think the, like the president or somebody really high up at Onion Games used to be um, like the head of Love Adelic, a studio about twenty years ago that made really weird stuff. Um, the rest of the studio went on to make things like Tulip and uh, I think they were involved like, in like uh, Giftopia, um, Giftopia, Indonesia, and um, Chibi Robo. Yeah, like a lot of the weirdest like. RPG adjacent things you've heard about in the last twenty years are from the like Love Delic uh diaspora. <laughs> yeah. So um Moon, which I, I actually reviewed this about seven years ago, Wheels. Um Moon is called the RPG Remix Adventure and it's um I mean it's definitely more of a game in the style of Mist or Riven, that kind. Uh we wander around and do stuff. But it is taken from the perspective of a young RP gamer who is forcibly dragged into the TV while his favorite Dragon not Dragon Quest game is playing and he has to deal with the consequences of having a rapacious murder hobo going through the game killing all the monsters. 
and stealing anything that's not bolted down. <laughs> yes. The, the townspeople have some very harsh things to say about the hero coming in and destroying all of their pots. <laughs> and so and the main point of the game is that you're trying to, you're trying to witness... Actually, you're, first of all, you're trying to rescue the souls of all the monsters that the hero has killed <laughs> by locating their dead bodies and then locating their souls and dragging them back together. And second, you're trying to um, accum literally accumulate love, like feelings of like positive emotions from different things. Mm. And there, are, it gets really random how you get it at times. So, so it but best yet, um, it was a Jap Japan-only game for the PlayStation. Except last week, it was announced to be re um, to be ported over to Switch. With an eventual English translation coming sometime next year. Hmm. Which is crazy because it's one of those franchise, not franchises, one of those games that like translation projects would start for this game like once every three years and then be abandoned as a consequence of both the complexity of localizing it and the difficulty of working with its source code. Slash compiled code, I should say. Yes. So, um, several people I know on Twitter are going like, what? Um, and awesome, and I'm still keeping my PlayStation copy, thank you very much, but I am going to be looking into this. <laughs> it was one of those... Yeah, yeah, that was weird, Wad, but yeah. It was one of those things where, like, I saw people tweeting about it, and I, like, had to double and triple check the source to make sure that someone hadn't just gone insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I keep making these jokes because it's true, but not only do you have to figure that Lovadelic's developers were taking mushrooms while producing this game, at least um, one major quest in the game um, requires you to take mushrooms. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. It's the one where you are dealing... Um, you have to um, find a way of communicating with the mushroom monkeys in order to find a way of gathering up the scattered spirit of the coelacanth and re resurrect it. Hmm. Uh, and if that does not sound weird, then hey, I have the game for you. But, but yeah, uh, on the good side, at least they do not have to worry about localizing the, di the spoken dialogue. It's true. Because this is a game where, following the fact that it's called the RPG Remix Adventure, every single character in the game, they uh, sampled something in a foreign language and then huh. they chopped into little pieces and rearranged it <laughs> into maximum gobbledygook. Nice. So, for example, um, when you, um, the, when the hero's in the game, the only place where you can rest up is this little old grandma's house. She is obviously supposed to be speaking French in her voice acting. It makes absolutely no sense because it cuts off in the middle of words, it repeats stuff, it goes really weird, but she's definitely supposed to be speaking French. You get the feeling of French from this. I mean, you, you, it's it's like you have the perfect feeling that they are communicating things, and you just have no idea what they're saying. Nobody has any idea what they're saying. So you have to read the right. text. Yeah. But or even best thing, um, or the first thing that you see when starting this game, mm -hmm. um, the game leads off with Fake Moon, the uh, the video game that the kid's playing. Mm -hmm. And so it's playing through like you're watching him play this Dragon Quest clone. 
And it starts off with the opening nar- um, narration for the lore. Yeah. And it starts off with a single sentence. Then it starts off with a small paragraph. Next screen. Third screen, larger paragraph. Fourth screen, the entire frickin' page um, screen is covered uh, past the edge with text. <laughs> and it's flashing by, impossible to read um, at that speed. <laughs> yeah. Uh. That kind of thing. It's just, yeah. It's a very, very uh, singular game. <laughs> Nothing quite like it. But. Well, I mean, except for um, Giftopia and Indonesia, which are both very similar, just yeah. in completely different weird ways. Yeah. It was uh, one of the two avowed uh, inspirations for Undertale, the other being, of course, Earthbound. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah. Like, even, like, Undertale starts by claiming that level in it stands for love. So, they were... Oh, yeah, that is... Not subtle. (laughs) So, yeah, that uh, that was a good way to... That was a good chance to segue into Moon Remix RPG Adventure. Sweet. So, yes, anyone who wants a really bizarre experience go for it um i would say avoid the the main walkthrough on game facts just because it takes things in a as close to a perfectly linear style as possible while completely ignoring how you figure out several of these puzzles in the first place like just optimized as though you were had already known the solutions yeah um just assuming that you don't actually know how to read the language either Oh, that I'm, not, make sense. I'm not quite sure if the person who wrote it actually could read the language because he occasionally he will comment on something like, I don't know why they're doing this. And I was playing, it was like, this lady just explained perfectly why this item is in the refrigerator. <laughs> so, no. Uh, well, we won't have to worry about that, hopefully. Uh, it's I don't know how impenetrable the puzzles actually are, but hopefully they'll be parsable in English at the very least. But... Yeah, very surprising to finally see that come over. Uh, do we want to hit another question? Sure. Okay, this is one from Strawberry Eggs that we have been failing to answer several times. I feel bad. Feel bad. Uh, mm-hmm. Hope you don't mind if I repost this question from a few episodes that didn't get answered yet to make it easier for you to find it. Uh, what is one game that you played, RPG preferably, that was obviously made on a tight budget as an afterthought, yet you feel the developers still put a lot of effort into? Maybe it's just certain aspects of the game, the music, the battle system, the characters, etc. They were particularly well done, even though the rest of it wasn't as good. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I feel like um, Alliance Alive and Legend of Legacy didn't have a huge budget, but those games feel like the developers really put their heart and soul on them. So. Oh yeah, um, Legend um, Legend of Legacy in particular did not have a very large budget. Yeah. At the same time, you could kind <laughs> sure. of consider it the prototype for the Alliance Alive. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean that one has the whole character choice where there's what some scenes at the beginning of the game, and that's about it. <laughs> Pretty much. See. So. Uh, it's uh, it's as much a proof of concept for the battle system as anything else. Yeah, I mean it's still a beautiful little game. It's and it in makes... great saga tradition, it's all about the island, not the people adventuring. 
it makes good use of the budget that it has. So. Makes fantastic use of what it had. Oh yeah. But then, um, Final Fantasy Legend One. That was a shoestring budget, and it was also like incredibly limited on the actual resources in the game. Yeah. Because yeah. of the original cart size. And they were trying to design something that could be played in 11 hours for the entirety of the flight from Narita to Honolulu. It was also a uh, very near launch Game Boy game, so feeling out how much they could get away with while it was being made. So yeah, I mean, that one is a case of... You just have to respect what they were able to do with what they had. Yeah. Which was not very much. (laughs) There's a certain amount of tenacity that you have to admire in that, even if you don't end up liking the game. Uh, let's see. Uh, Strawberry Eggs brings up uh, specifically, as an example, uh, Tales of Symphonia, Dawn of the New World is, you know, an example. It's developed at about the same time as Vesperia. Uh, it was considered an escort title because of Tales of very strange idea of how to label spin-off and mainline game. Uh, Escort and but, Mothership. Yes, Mothership. I love that... My favorite thing about that designation is that it was essentially initially created just so that they wouldn't ever have to talk about Tales of the Tempest again. Uh, yeah. But... Uh, it's a good reason to come up with the designation. <laughs> there, there was never a mention of Mothership and Escort titles before that, and then suddenly Mothership and Escort titles existed. Because we had to make a distinction. Please, this game does not reflect us and we do not count it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it's an escort title, so it was relatively small budget. Uh, The original Tales of Symphonia is a superior game, but I think developers, or at least some of them, seem to really care about the project. Localization uh, had perhaps better written dialogue than the original, and the voice acting is fantastic. Dawn of the New World is the funnier of the two games, and the new characters are well-rounded. Uh, and the good ending is one of the better endings in games. Uh, it also still has the best romantic pl- subplot I've seen in the game. It's a, I actually do like Dawn of the New World quite a bit, and I like the way that you get its good ending. Which, uh, spoilers there, so I won't go into it, but it's interesting because it's always attainable and, in fact, very easy to get as long as you have keyed into what the themes of the game are. Uh <laughs> As long as you play along properly. Pretty much. Uh, but yeah, no, I would agree that Donald the New World is, has a lot of heart and is better than I think people gave it credit for, especially at the time when, where they were expecting a game that was of the same breadth and style as Tales of Symphonia, which it is not. It is a very low-budget game. Uh, neat game. I liked it. Uh, I'm trying to think of other examples of this, and a lot of them just end up being Kawazu games that <laughs> stretch themselves to the breaking point and then ultimately just what comes out comes out um, mm-hmm. see I don't like this game but I respect it which and it's probably something that would be fair to bring up near that's a, yeah, that's a good I need one. to play that one sometime because it sounds like a, such a weird hodgepodge of everything it does it has a text it's like, adventure it even town. had like a text adventure section at yep. one point my, I'm used to stuff like that in like Kingdom of Loathing, but in an actual RPG. Yeah, it was actually pretty cool, too. Mm. It's one of the better parts of the game. 
uh, but the other parts of it that feels like, am I playing, am I in a bullet hell? And that's definitely a good, good one. Uh, or some other good ones. Um, do you think Crystal Chronicles had a big budget? No, not yeah. in the slightest. I'd say they did a lot with that. Which we'll finally get a remaster of in January. And it has cross-platform play, yes. but apparently between all platforms? Yeah, and that game's going to be a mobile. I can play I can play on my Switch, and Wheels can play on his phone for some reason. Yeah. I like how I'm insinuating that you intend to play on your phone. Yeah, you know, lunch breaks or whatever. On the go. But yeah, I think on the bright side... That is the only way anyone's going to be able to get a group together to play that game. Like, that game was impossible to play in a group before, but now yep. you can play it on cross-platform online. You can actually experience how it was intended to be played. Yeah, no, that that is that is fantastic what they're doing with that, because that game is an absolute blast playing with a group. Mm. Uh, like, it's it sounds like a weird mechanic, like, oh, you have to move around this little chalice thingy, or... You, You'll all die. Make sure that someone is having to swap between each other. Yeah, <laughs> but no, it's 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 it, a very it's good game. Definitely one. It's definitely one of those mechanics where you need to think about how they're going to be playing it together. Yeah, because I've played too many DS games that relied on some form of like co-op that never existed because not enough people bought the games. Yeah, so, so the cross-platform is helpful in that sense too. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. It's a great idea. I should tell my... I was thinking about that. I've been looking for excuses to play games with my brother again, but he doesn't have consoles at the current time, so I can just tell him about that. Yeah. That'd be fun. No, that's that's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to that. And I will obviously buy that on multiple platforms. Well, probably just mobile and Switch. I'll be grabbing the Switch version. Yeah. Uh, any other low-budget, uh, cool executions? Um, uh, the Mountaineering RPG, which is about as low-budget as you can get. Oh, what was that called again? I know what you're talking about. The but... Tozan RPG. Mm, it's yeah. part of the simple 1500 series. Yeah, anything in that series is super, super low-budget, but an interesting well, idea. most of them, several of them were actually fairly high-budget, it's just that they, uh, for some reason, the initial release um, the initial release plans flopped, and so they just included them with the the simple series stuff yeah. like Onichambara and um, Earth Defense Force. Yeah, and then those morphed into weird, like intentionally low budget series. They got weird. <laughs> they realized that for some people, the style, the low budget style, was actually a plus. Sometimes people want a grindhouse video game, and that's kind of what those are. Yep. But yeah, but I, I know I've talked about it before, but the Mountaineering RPG was basically a cut-rate version of the Ogre Battle, the original Ogre Battle's um, um, real-time strategy type of thing, based around mountain climbing. That's hmm. awesome. <laughs> and all of the enemies, I mean, you had, like, undead mountain climbers, you had um, frost-blooded vampires... You had the physical incarnations of hypoxia, altitude sickness, and um, frostbite. 
attacking you. Things like that. That's, uh, that's, I like that kind of uh, metaphorical combat. Yeah. Oh, not metaphorical at all in this case. Well, not um, metaphor, but you are fighting a metaphor, essentially. Yeah. And then the bosses are all the peaks of the seven great mountains of the world, according to the game. Um, so, like, you're, the final boss is literally Mount Everest. <laughs> That's awesome. The top of Mount Everest. Of course. Yeah. And you can yeah. do things like, um, I mean, everything costs money in this game. So mm -hmm. it's all based around how much money you can get through repeating some of the levels sometimes. Mm -hmm. But, um, so, like, the final boss is throwing literal snow ballistic missiles at you. And you're calling in helicopter strikes. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> yeah. Things like this. It's It gets really ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thinking about this question, like, these are the kinds of games I seek out, but, I mean, like, a lot of times it can be hard to find them through, like, just what lack of time and money did to it. Like, it's, like, it's hard to tell how ambitious this was because it's just kind of broken. Yeah. Um, Merminoid. Don't Which think was I know that really, um, it's a completely underwater RPG, mermaids, and um, going this around the, the Eldritch Horror like a one, right? simulator. Okay, no, this isn't the Eldritch Horror one. <laughs> no, and it's got pretty crap graphics. Uh, <laughs> it's got a poorly documented battle system, hmm. and there's a lot of things you can do better about it. I really liked it though, and I did a fan novelization. Which nice. went in completely different directions. Um, I'll need to finish that sometime. Um, but yeah, it was just a really bizarre game that had absolutely nothing to do with the anime it was supposed to be based on. Huh. And I can say that because I've seen parts of the anime and they had male characters. <laughs> Already a big departure. And there's only one male character in the entire game. And, and she doesn't realize she's male until towards the very end. So, uh, I'm thinking a lot of Art Dink's catalog on the PS1. They made yeah. a lot of really weird, really experimental games that, like, some of them are RPG adjacent, but a lot of them are just, like, Tale of the Sun, which is a, like, caveman narcolepsy simulator. And, <laughs> like, that is a game where you'll be just running across, like, this hideous low poly landscape, and your character, like, You'll be running downhill trying to catch something to eat, and your character will just spontaneously fall asleep and roll down the hill. But, like, that's insane and not actually very good, but I love how weird it was, how little it cared about fitting into any pre-established conceptions of what a game should be. It just went for it. Mm. I'm thinking some of the... Uh, the th 3DS downloadable stuff, including one that I unfortunately did not remember to try and get until after it was taken off the store. Oh, it was a Shinjuku dungeon. Mm. It was a it was your basic dungeon crawler, except the entire dungeon was modeled off of Shinjuku Station in Tokyo. Huh? Because apparently, because it's a very complicated, very large and complicated. It's already labyrinth train stations. Yeah, that's cute. I like that. Yeah. One that is still out there, I cannot remember exactly how to say it, but it was basically a game, a, an RPG that focused around not being noticed by anybody. 
You are trying at all times to stay out of line of sight. Interesting. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the hide-and-go-seek RPG. Kakarimbo <laughs> uh, Battle Tactics. Monster Tactics. Or Game Boy Color. Which is one of the finer squad-based tactical RPGs I've ever played. Has hmm. next to no story, but it's really awesome. <laughs> it nailed what it wanted to. Yeah. And didn't really have room for anything else. Well, when you're working on a low budget, that's how it goes. <laughs> and when you're working on even Game Boy Color. Yeah, yeah. Well, anything on Game Boy Color was kind of low budget by default, unless something very strange was going on. Pokemon Gold Silver. Pretty much. Those are, like, about as high budget as Game Boy games ever got. But I mean, like... And they were miraculously capable of fitting everything into those things. yeah. Whereas, like, Red Blue were games that they were working on off and on for six years while they took other projects to keep the lights on. Yeah. But, uh... Again, because it was one of the most ambitious games for its uh, platform. Yeah, yeah. It's weird to think about uh, that kind of development process leading to such a world-eating monster. But, uh... Yeah. We might come back to this if I can come up with more. Did you have any wheels? No. Other? Okay. Uh, I guess we can hit this last question from Budai, which is a little, we can probably, uh, there's a lot of meat on this subject bones, but it's also like one of those things that can be answered relatively quickly as well. Uh, how easy, how important is it for a system being easy to develop for, or to have structures that make porting easy? It seems to be really benefiting the Switch right now. Uh, the way I would describe that is the difference between the Sega Saturn and the PlayStation. Yep. Like... Can you laugh, right? <laughs> so, like, I mean, the Sega Saturn, like, Sega had a fairly marquee set of launch titles. They had name recognition. They clearly did, like, they. it should have been doable for that to become a huge system. Except that it was such, it was so complex to develop for. It was such a problem that people just didn't make games for it unless they were like very specifically like, well, we're just going to do 2D because that's what it's good at. Mm -hmm. And so you get the, whereas like the PlayStation, like Sony's SDK at the time, their software development kit was known for being easier to work with than the PS, than the Saturn or the N64s. And so, and naturally. then Sony went and forgot this lesson with the PlayStation Three. <laughs> yeah, well, they were starting to forget it with the PS Two. The Emotion Engine is more of a problem than the uh, Xbox's like Pentium Three base or the uh, GameCube. I think it's some sort of Power PC derivative. It is Power PC. Yeah. Yeah, like both of those were known architectures. Those both work fine, but the Emotion Engine is not enough of a problem to scare people away, whereas the cell processor is enough of a problem to cause huge delays, which is why the PS3 ends up selling maybe half of what the PS2 does. Chris, the PS2 was, like, almost a unicorn in how insane its reaction was. Yeah, you know, it was absolute lightning in a bottle. Yeah, the only thing to compare would be the DS. Yeah. Another maybe, game... Or the Wii, or the Wii. Yeah. Those three together are just, like, insane. Yeah, and notably, the DS and the 
uh, Wii were both fairly easy to make games for. The Wii was essentially an update of the GameCube, very, very similar, and the DS was like a standard ARM processor that, like, you know, ARM risk is not easy, but it's not an unknown quantity. Yeah. And it's like, um, I still sometimes find forum threads and different websites with console wars still flaming and everyone's making fun of like, oh, the Switch is underpowered and like, dudes, it's only underpowered if you think Nintendo's actually playing the same game. Yeah. Like, so much of what's benefited the Switch is using that standard, like, NVIDIA, like, it's a slightly uh, customized, but it is still essentially a standard Tigra X1 chip. Like, it is a basic NVIDIA chip that has tons of stuff that's just already ready to work on it. It's and, it's not only that, but it had one of the biggest um, engines, Unity, on it from, like, day one. Yeah, Unity went on it fairly quickly, but, like, that that's important, but at the same time, like, the reason it could be on there so quickly is because the hardware was known. Yeah, yeah you're right. And it's like, that's also why, like, for example, Unreal Engine 3 was never officially supported on the Wii U. Unreal Engine 4, which seems like it should be a bigger stretch for the Switch, is an officially supported version of the engine that works just fine. Mm -hmm. Like, it is really, really important. Like, the only way that you can get away with being really hard to, you can get away with your console being hard to work with is if everything else is hard to work with. Like, the second that you have, like, these middleware frameworks in place, you need to have your hardware supporting the that software as soon as possible, or else, like, your console needs to be so powerful it can't be ignored. Like, not powerful in terms of specs, but powerful in terms of, like, people are buying it so much that people, that developers are forced to bend over backwards to make sure things work on it. Selling power. Yep. And... Like, I think that more and more you see that get borne out, because, I mean, like... Yeah, yeah. yeah we, can, we can go over this a lot, but, like, those, those basic principles apply over and over and over again. Uh, the Genesis got a lot of support in the, as the Mega Drive in Europe because it was a standard Motorola 68000 processor that the Amiga also used. So there's a lot, a lot of Amiga ports, which can be a good and bad thing. There's a lot of bad Amiga games on the Genesis, but it was like if you were part of why I would imagine that the Genesis was popular in Europe was like, well, I don't have the money to shell out for an Amiga, but a lot of these games that my friends are playing are coming to this console because it's a Motorola 68000 powered console. <laughs> like those those sorts of omni processors that show up where whereas like if you wanted to port your Amiga game to Super Nintendo, you had to make it work with like the weird uh, derivative of a like derivative descendant of a 6502 made by Rico that Nintendo used for the Super Nintendo, like just the strangest thing imaginable. Like so, but the Super Nintendo was popular, so developers did do that. But in part because no one in Japan was that was like that married to the 68000 processor. Uh, to look at it another way, like. Sega tried to learn from this too late because they had already gotten a reputation for releasing hardware that was hard to deal with after you've got the... Beyond the Saturn, you also have the 32X, which is similar to the Saturn, except it has no hardware acceleration for anything. 
that's amazing when you go back and look at like 2D platformers on the Genesis on the Genesis and then compare them to their 32X versions where half the time the 32X versions run slower because wow. the 32X the 32X doesn't have any inbuilt capacity to move tiles and sprites around quickly. Like a lot of like 3D games have consistently had very variable frame rates like they will target different things but like NES like 2D platformers and such on the NES and Super NES and the Genesis almost always target 60 and the reason for that is that their hardware is built to move sprites and bitmap tiles around hmm. <laughs> and so they're actually really fast at doing those kinds of mathematical operations so that's so it's really weird when you play like a 32x game and it runs at 20 frames a second and it's like Pitfall the Mayan Adventure that ran at 60 on everything else. <laughs> Sorry, I, yeah, going into a weird dissociative puke. I'll stop. Uh, no, it's fine. I haven't heard about Pitfall the Mayan Adventures in years. That game's also really. There's a really good uh, Digital Foundry retro uh, video on that one where they talk about how that game also somehow accidentally birthed Direct X. <laughs> because it was like the, the they ported it to Windows 95 and like the underlying technology used in that port that like accessed that uh, was essentially designed to access the uh, 486 processor without like an un with a less co uh, cumbersome software layer uh, is essentially the technology... Microsoft bought that developer, and that technology essentially became DirectX. Weird. Really strange. Truly bizarre. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, like, Sega tried to double back on that with the Dreamcast, which was a much easier console to develop for, and that's why, like, even though they had been burned repeatedly, developers came back for the Saturn because, well, this is actually fairly easy to develop for. It wasn't enough because uh, there was already too much uh, goodwill lost in Japan in specific, but also just in general. But it was one of those situations where, you know, they worked. Like, that is, like, companies always sort of fail when they think that the console is too big for developers to ignore. Like, that, that is the consistent problem that developers end up having. The N64 and Saturn have it. The uh, PS3 had it. The Xbox One had it. Like, when, when hardware makers forget that software is what sells a console, it inevitably leads to, like, them losing a huge hit in market share. <laughs> Wii U had it as well, uh, just for the record. Uh, but yeah, that was a bit of a rant. Uh, no worries, it's always an interesting one. <laughs> Does anyone want to talk about what we've been playing? I think we didn't bother with that this week. Sure. Uh, I've been playing Dragon Quest Seven. Nice. Cool. And we'll get back to beyond the labyrinth soon <laughs> it was just a busy week last week so i wasn't able to play more of it but how has all how did all trades abbey treat you uh well i have finally defeated the cardinal of sin and acquired jobs so my party is gainfully employed <laughs> well employed 
Uh, so I went with Warrior, Punchy Man, and Mage. Is Punchy Man the actual name? No, it's, it's not. Uh, it's uh, oh, thank probably like Pugilist or something. Monk or uh, Karate it's Man. Probably Monk. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are safe jobs. Those will work uh, just about any which way you look at it. Uh, do you have like a plan for how you're going to do it, or are you going to play it by ear? Nope, just gonna wing it. Yeah, nothing wrong Not with that. Not gonna look it up or anything like that. Just gonna. Good, because planning it too much is a good way of just descending into neurosis. <laughs> yeah, no. Speaking as someone bad. who has had online conversations with some of the most neurotic Dragon Quest Seven fans ever. Including one guy who, whose uh, main strategy advice for the game is, okay, now make sure you get to all quests, Abby, before you hit level 18. Yes, this is a game that requires this level of optimization. It has to happen. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not even level 18 yet, so I guess I'm in good shape. You're on the right track. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, this was his advice for the original game. Uh, yeah, it's a little different. Uh, the job system doesn't work quite the same either, so... Yeah, and he was really pissy about that. Yeah, it seems like the more married you are to the original job system, the more pissed off you're going to be about the... No, I mean, but this guy is... Um, you remember some of our more interesting uh, people to get banned from the forums? Oh. Yeah, this guy's at that level. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. For my end, I finally finished Grandia 1. Expect a review sometime this week. Oh, oh, I had one other game that I have played. River you City don't. Girls. Oh, I need to pick that up. I'm yes. so sad that it doesn't have online multiplayer. I'd be, if, I, if it did, I would be playing it with you already. Yeah, uh, I already bought the soundtrack, so there's that. Which cool. was 10 bucks, and there are 50 tracks. That is insane. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, and there's like, I want to say like seven vocal tracks, something like that. It's really good. And it's basically an updated River City Ransom with voice with acting. Girls. Yep, with the girls, voice acting, hilarious script, great acting. It's just, it's a blast. The concept I, I really appreciate because, like, Kunio and Riki's girlfriends always exist in, existed in Kunio canon, but they don't show up that often in terms yeah. of gameplay. So it's cute to actually give them their own game. But, uh,. Yeah, I'm. I wish that it had online, but I will soldier on eventually and play it with friends locally, I guess. But yeah, uh, really excited to pick that up sometime. Uh, let's see, but yeah, I closed the book on Grandia One again. Nice. nice. I freaking love that game. I need to play that game. But yeah, expect a review this week. But I'll, I'll say like I freaking love that game. Uh, I realized as I was playing it again, like I spent a while trying to put my finger on why I felt it felt so special to me and still does. And like certainly some of that's nostalgia. I'll be trying to disentangle that in my review. But I feel like a lot of it is just that a lot, I guess thematically, Grandia loves people. It loves humanity. Like... It is a game with maybe one irredeemable character. And everyone else, like, the worst that they, like, 
their villainy can never extend to a point where they will not turn around and attempt to, like, whether they succeed or not, attempt to be doing the right thing. Like, the worst things that you fight are incomprehensibly inhuman. But, uh, like, for anyone who is even remotely similar to a human, like, can talk and think like a human, the game extends nothing in theme in themes other than absolute, like, you can only be misguided. There is no, the, the nature of humanity is good, and it feels very refreshing to play. <laughs> yes. All right. I love it. Uh, it is a five in my heart. That is probably not the score I can give it, but it is five in my heart. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and so I've also started on Grandia 2, which... Whenever I start it, it always feels so different because you you switch from having Justin as a protagonist to Ryudo as a protagonist. And I don't think you've played very much of either of these wheels, if any. Of what, Grandia 2? Grandia 1 and 2. I beat Grandia 2, dog. Oh, wow. I assumed you hadn't because it was a Dreamcast game. No, it was uh, like uh, the only Dreamcast game I finished. It's that, so good. That was, I was pretty sure it was the only game in the series he's finished. That and Sonic oh, definitely. Adventure. But uh, Sonic Adventure is cute and ambitious, but terrible. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but yeah, uh, what I was going to say was, like, Ryudo, like, starts out as, like, this raw contrast, but, like, uh, because, I mean, like, Justin is a character whose innocence and, like, general just standard shonen hero-ness is, like, the thing that makes him important in this world, whereas Ryudo is a dick. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any other adjectives there. But, uh, like, where... Where Grandia won, because of its, like, humanity is great theme... Like, humanity is never out of reach themes. Uh, I, I should not say humanity is great. There is not... Like, humans are not perfect in it, but, like, the idea of humanity is never out of reach. Uh, it starts with a character who embodies, like, uh, the best aspects of, like, childish innocence. Whereas with uh, Ryudo in 2, you, of course, start with a character who's just, like, feels opposite of that, but is forced to move into a more in line with the moral alignment of Grandia characterization, which is interesting to watch uh, happen. You know, I don't want to be a good guy, and you you can't make me. (laughs) Kinda. (laughs) I do appreciate how much you could, like, they call him a geohound, and you really could have just said mercenary and lost nothing, but apparently they decided that that term was not fantasy enough, and he is a geohound. Uh, Are you sure it's actually fans that and it's not like gooey duck or something? <laughs> he says it he says it in the English dialogue. Oh, there's actual and, voice acting. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the, there was voice acting for the first one too, never mind. Yeah. I should not be surprised. I, I feel like I should also point out the voice acting in two is actually good. Uh, two actually well, I mean, has the a voice re- acting in one is good in its own like uh, mystery theater kind of way. It, it's charming. Uh, I feel like, as I played it, I came to the conclusion that if these people were given decent voice direction, they would be well cast. 
but there's a lot of situations where it's clear they're not actually sure what's going on in the lines they're reading. <laughs> Decent voice voice direction in the 90s? Huh. huh. No. Uh, well, Metal Gear pulled it off. Not many else. Uh, yeah, but Metal Gear had a director who actually really cared about that. Yeah, well, I mean, Grandia 2's voice cast is almost entirely Metal Gear, which is hilarious. Like, uh, Ryudo is Liquid Snake... Sky is Colonel Campbell. Uh, oh, what was it? Elena is Naomi. Uh, Tio is Mei Ling. Merig is. Oh, what is his? Uh, oh, he is Vulcan Raven. Uh, there's only a handful of characters doing voices in Grandia 2 that are not Metal Gear alums. And several of them are, like... One of them, I was baffled when I found out that, like... I think it's Millennia is voiced by the woman who voiced Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Mm. That weirded me out. Didn't didn't expect that one. Um, under the sea. Under the, under the sea. sea. Okay, we're not getting sued. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. They can't sue us for humming a bar, can we? Uh, if it's more than two bars, probably. Man, um, yeah. man, I've thrown Disney music into these episodes. Yeah. Well, I think we're good. I don't think we're good, but I think they don't care. Uh, well, probably. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like, Grandia 2, one of the things that is immediately obvious is, oh, this has a really high-quality localization, especially for the time. Hmm. So, that's been kind of a treat to actually go back and play again. The only issue that I have with the HD remaster so far is, for some reason, this this has persisted since the PC version, the anniversary, what was formerly the anniversary edition, but is now called Grandia 2 HD to market with this version, uh, is they dropped in a new lighting system, and it doesn't look the same. Uh... Grandia 2 is a very Dreamcast-looking game. It looks very clean. It looks very, like, the art direction is good and consistent, but it's very Dreamcast-looking. The new lighting engine they have dropped in is not. It has, like, what looks like proper real-time shadowing, and, like, it just looks weird. It doesn't look like it fell out of a Dreamcast game. It looks much closer to modern. And on the Switch version, it does not do kind things to the frame rate in certain circumstances. And I just, I wish there was a way to turn it off hmm. because it doesn't do great things to the frame rate. And I kind of don't, like, if you're playing on PC, I recall it running at a lock 60 because, I mean, if your PC is powerful enough, it will muscle through any poor choices. But uh, <laughs> I just, I don't think that this was a great idea. Uh, I would have preferred the ability to turn it off just for aesthetic purposes. I find it weird looking. But also because, like, it never gets to PS2 levels. Uh, like, but it will uh, where the PS2 version of Grandia 2 will run at like single digits basically anytime you're in a town. Uh, Grandia 2 on Switch will drop to like around 30, maybe 25, like closer to the Ocarina of Time level. But it'll also have situations where it's running at 60, and when it jumps from one to the other, it looks really weird and off putting. It's not enough to cause me to warn anyone away, but it does make me wish that they would patch either improve the performance, or better yet, just give me a way to turn off the weird lighting. That would be nice. 
Sorry. Just needed to yeah. rant about that, but it's a really good game. Onward, Mr. Baker. Well, I mean, I haven't really been playing much lately. I've, I mean, if you've been seeing anything I do on Twitter, it's occasionally commenting on oh. gaming down memory lane. I need to follow you. I don't know why I don't. Uh, what? Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, for a part of last week, I was going through Endless Frontier Exceed again. Huh. Kind of. I think I commented last Tuesday about how one of the developers for that game actually followed me on Twitter now. Oh, because I mentioned it. <laughs> um, but now I've switched over to Magical Starshine, just because it's been a good decade and bit since I've last played it. And I'm for- I forgot exactly how long it takes to get through the opening se- sequence. When the only buttons that actually do anything are the direction pad. <laughs> because it's an early DS game that requires a stylus for everything. Oh. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, there I and go. Was made, and was made for the street pass system before the street pass system even existed. <sighs> yeah, there's a lot of DS games that seem like they want street pass to exist. <laughs> the Brownie Brown games back to the Game Boy Advance were obviously in need of it. Yeah, World Ends With You wants it bad as well. Yeah, I mean, Pokemon Diamond Pearl technically had it, not just for their own game. Yeah, uh, Black and White kind of do it as well. It's weird. But yeah, I remember Magical Starshine being something people talked about when it came out, but I remember very little about it. It's a bizarre little game, but it... They learned from their experiences with magical magical vacation. Let down the actual cast list by a mm. lot. <laughs> I remember magical vacation as something I remembered seeing an import preview of way back in like late '01 in an old EGM. Power. It was an old EGM actually, and they they felt certain that it was going to get localized, and that sure never happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Had very nice sprite work, though. <laughs> oh, it does. I mean, it's also got like a, unf- I mean, some massive jumps in difficulty towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. See, Brownie Brown, of course, now somehow changed their name at some point to One Up Studio. Well, they're also brownies. Mm, they're, brownies. They're they've released at least one game in the past with the name uh, under the. Company named Brownies. Name Brownies. Huh. Yeah. But yeah, they've also apparently ended up getting shifted partially to do development assistance on Mario games, which explains the name One Up Studio. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Magical Starshine, um, Magical Vacation Two, is the one where you have spaceships, and the one where you can for focus your magical talents to actually rotate the solar system to put your particular elemental sign into a favorable po- favorable position. That kind of thing. And it's also got more good, bad food puns in names than you could imagine. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, um, I mean, I, I think it's better to comment about what I've been reading recently. Um, I just finished... Um, 
one of the books in the Witcher series. Oh. Blood of Elves. I have no idea. If, I mean, it says it has number one on the binding, but at the same time, it's definitely a second book. It is, so Blood of Elves is the first part of what's referred to as the Witcher saga, like the five-book series that has like a continuing plot. But the first Witcher book is a short story collection called The Last Wish. Ah, okay, so it's it's definitely, I mean, it spends way too much time at the beginning basically rehashing stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just going through this, I'm thinking, okay, how much of this can I blame on the translator, and how much of it is Sapkowski's own fault for yeah. issues with continuity, logistics, and just common sense? <laughs> um, and some really odd things with the narrative uh, formatting. Yeah, I've only read The Last Wish, which I think is a pretty decent fantasy short story collection, but I have no idea how his prose works out when, one, it's tr probably translated by a different person, but two, when it's like forced into a longer-form narrative. It's, uh, I mean, it's like a 390-something-page page book where I'm not, I'm hard-pressed to identify a primary, um, primary climax point. <laughs> It just happens. I mean, I mean, there are two or three points where it's definitely climactic, but at the same time, it's um, it's weirdly split, oddly organized. And at one point, it starts off with current and then has the character flash back to six months ago and sticks with the six months ago section for the almost the entire bit and then flashes <laughs> forward again. What? Yeah, that, uh, that sounds with like... With very little tra or almost no transition between these. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that he kind of could get away with in Last Wish, because it was a series of unconnected stories, but yeah, you're doing uh, it. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely similar to that. It's just it's not very well put together at times. Yeah, short stories kind of suit that structure better. Yeah, but I mean... I mean, hey, for, um, I mean, I'm basically publishing a serialized story in episodes as well, and I managed to move the story along faster than this guy does by a lot. I wonder what, how much uh, Sapkowski was actually making, but... Oh, wait, let me see this. Uh, okay, there's... Yeah, I'm trying to work out what order these actually were published in okay okay yeah sort of destiny is another short story collection so this was actually the first novel after two short story collections this makes a lot more sense because again it's starting off with the references to a finished war mm -hmm. a current armistice and everything relating back to the complete destruction of this one town yeah it's one of those situations where like he could make those kinds of references more easily when he was just telling disconnected stories. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm just, I'm trying to get a feel for the world building and some of it's there and some of it's not there. And I'm like, okay. And this section, he has four different monarchs meeting in secret at a fifth location. <laughs> and I'm like, We're how in the world does he manage this? Yeah. Like there's no way to actually do that with nobody noticing. That's a really good way to commit a lot of regicide at once, though. Yeah, I'm, I mean, and for the time period that he's trying to emulate, it would be very rare for, 
for royalty from different heads of state to meet anywhere except head to head on the battlefield if they were the warrior type. Yeah, and pretty much. Then, yeah. So. Yeah, sounds like you've got mixed feelings about the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fairly mixed. Um, much more enjoyed the the handful of or the two manga series I picked up recently. So those are fun. Um, What'd you pick up? Oh, uh, the first one was called. Uh, I was just waiting to see if anyone responded or breathe or something, so I didn't know I was still <laughs> connected. Um, the first one's called Spy Family, or Spy X Family, <laughs> and it is adorable. It is occasionally bloody. It is hilarious. There is a full English translation online scanlation, which I do have a few quibbles with. Mostly of the, I would have translated this word a different way, but it still works variety. Fair enough. And the primary one being that this translator left in all of the honorifics San Kun Sama mm. in a story that is set in a vaguely East-West Germany divide Cold War situation. Mm. Yeah, that sounds weird. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like, okay. You've got some great font choices. You have some great um, translation, word choices, um, syntax, everything. I would have chosen Dusk instead of Twilight for this one thing, but sure. <laughs> and then... So, what do you think of the place, Folger-san? I'm like, what? Okay. Why are we using Japanese honorifics here? <laughs> Why? Okay. Hmm. But anyway, it is it is a very good series. Yeah, or, you or, I'm two? sure it will be a good series because it's only got one volume out in print. Oh, so. relatively new. <laughs> yeah, it's just started. Um, I've seen a few scans from later in the the main uh, periodical publication, but I I don't read up on those until they get hit Tankabon. Makes sense. Yeah. You said there were two but manga you've been reading? Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was continuing on Spy Family. Those. The main yeah. idea is you have this, basically this Cold War, um, James Bond-style spy mm -hmm. working for the West Country, West, mm -hmm. uh, whatever, West Italy or something like that. Not West Germany. Um, Definitely not. I, I'm not because the East Germany version is not really, um, ne neither one seems really communist by any standards. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, it's definitely a Cold War situation, but not without some of the politics yeah. behind it. And so he has been, his, his newest mission is to locate or be able to contact, locate, whatever, and deal with this one East Country politician who is suspected of being behind some attempts to raise tensions and make the Cold War hot again. Mm -hmm. um, but the only time this guy is ever seen is at his is at school functions at his son's private academy. Mm. So the spy's mission is to, within a week, get a, get a wife and child and get into that academy. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. And um, we end up with some interest. He ends up completely by accident picking up a... Um, well, from the, uh, from the worst orphanage he can find, he, lo he gets this adorable little girl who is actually psychic. 
So she's reading his mind while he's thinking about what he needs in a kid, and so she's claiming to be the exact age he needs, and when he thinks that she's too short, she's standing up on tiptoes. Um, and she's just listening to him, and she's going, and she's thinking to herself, spy mission. Awesome. Because her favorite TV show is a cartoon about spies. <laughs> so she's quite willing to do anything in order to go with him because she thinks it'll be great. And then the uh, the woman he manages to pick up to pretend to be the wife, she needs someone to pretend to be a boyfriend for a party because um, her co-workers at the bank are starting to talk and mm-hmm. and kind of neg her about it. So, and she is like the complete opposite of really social. Mm-hmm. In part, this is because she is a top tier assassin named the Thorn Princess. Good name, intimidating. Yeah. So by the end of the first volume, he still doesn't know she's an assassin. She hasn't quite realized that he's a spy. They both know that there's something really awesome about each other, and they're actually kind of digging this relationship by now. <laughs> uh, That's the fun. Yeah. And of course the adopted daughter is going these two are just awesome. They are they belong together. I'm going to keep doing everything I can to make sure they stay together. That sounds cute. <laughs> yeah. With a high body count. It's cute with Naturally. body. Yeah. We are still talking about a spy and an assassin. <laughs> yeah. And then the other one um See, the, it's in, got three volumes now. The first one was back in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, the title was um, Shinobana, um, Shinob- Shinobana Chio-chan. Basically, don't sneak or stop sneaking, Chio. <laughs> and it's it's just, it's again, adorable in weird ways. But you know the stereotype of the really, really shy Japanese girl who is in yeah. love with the cute boy in the class and she wants to confess her love and she just can't do it? Mm-hmm. Imagine that kind of story playing out with a very talented young ninja who is possessed with crippling social anxiety disorder. Listen, I, I choose all of my talents to try to uh, help with my terrible, terrible uh, social skills. So, I mean, I can sympathize. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, she really just she wants to at least be able to say thank you for a kindness that he showed her in the past and she can't even bring herself to do that she just get freaks out and hides <laughs> in complete ninja fashion and so i mean he doesn't even see her he doesn't even remember her face until the end of the first volume <laughs> i mean he he remembers um the little thing he remembers the thing that he helped her with but he it took him a moment to remember that, oh, that's her. And then he doesn't actually know, and then he doesn't actually connect her name with her face until like halfway through the second volume. Yeah. It's just adorable. Weird. Cute. Mm-hmm. So, Wheels, read anything good recently? I have not read anything recently. It sounded like you had a lot. Wrong answer. Sorry. Wrong well, answer. I, I did read uh, not very much of the issue of Nintendo Force I got in. That's not Nintendo Power at all. No, it's sort of imitation Nintendo Power. And it's pretty... You got the time. 
it was pretty decent until I got to the section about upcoming games. And there was something about the Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth Complete Edition. You know, coming to Switch. Whatever. Two in one, right? Yep, yep. The and, Cyber Sleuth and Hacker's Memory, I think. Yes, and I got to this little interesting write-up at the end of it. With fan reception for Sword and Shield being more muted than the Pokemon brand is used oh, to, never. perhaps the Digimon have a chance to score some extra sales. There's a lot to unpack there, because that game is not like Pokemon. What are you smoking, dude? Like, the thing about it is that everyone angry about Sword and Shield is, one, not actually a very large audience, and two, absolutely buying it anyway. Yes. <laughs> There's, like, this period where I, like, looked into, like, since since there is a boundless fascination with, like, things that were not, that were adjacent to things I cared about as a child, but which I did not care about. There's a boundless fascination to me. So I looked up what Digimon, like, where that came from, and it's hilarious to me to find out it's Tamagotchi for boys. Even <laughs> though Tamagotchi were already for everyone, they decided that they were not tough enough to market to boys, so they made Tamagotchi for boys. Huh. Like, literally, officially a Tamagotchi product. Which is also why they are so capable of pooping themselves to death. (laughs) Okay, that's weird. It explained it it so much all at once, because, like, my other experience with it was renting the PS1 Digimon World 1 once, and deciding that I hated everything about it. (laughs) So that's why they're digital monsters, then? Because they're just totes? They're, they're just Tamagotchi. Okay, that makes sense. The, the other best thing that I... One is uh, looking up what the evolution levels are called, which are hilarious, uh, because one of them was literally labeled Baby 2, which just huh. caused me to laugh for, to no end. But the other thing, uh, this, is, this was a thing that there's no official explanation as to why all of their names end in Mon... So the fan explanation is that it's a file extension. <laughs> that makes as and much I, sense as anything else. I believe that in my heart because it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, one other thing. Recently, um, I got to watch a movie on Saturday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw something about this. <laughs> I would have seen it on Friday, except that the air conditioner had gone out in that particular theater, and they had Ooh, postponed it until like 950 like, or something. That sounds like unearthly hell. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. And as it turns out, my point card with the movie theater, after watching most of the, most, not all of the Marvel movies available in the last 12 months, plus Dragon Quest, um, meant I had a free movie ticket. Nice. Nice. I'm like, cool, sure, let's do this. I think I mentioned that in the first paragraph of the review, saying it may have improved my attitude towards the movie a little bit. (laughs) It was free! (laughs) Yes. Which, considering how down half of the review that followed is, you have to wonder. Um, <laughs> oh, I need to go read that. I saw that it had been posted, but I hadn't had the chance to look at it yet. Yeah. Um, it's not the worst isekai story I've ever seen. <laughs> that is perhaps the most backhanded compliment I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> but was yeah. it, was it I, better than the Dragon Quest movie? This is really hard to say. <laughs> Because how I mean, much of, how much of the Dragon Quest movie are we looking at? If we're looking at anything before the last ten minutes, <laughs> uh, it I mean, is qualitatively. Qualitatively, the Dragon Quest movie was less cohesive and better done. 
simultaneously. Hmm. Nino Kuni was more cohesive as a story, but it really felt like they had taken the primary plot beats from their planned third game and given the, the ideas to somebody else to completely rework into a different story. Hmm. Yeah, I was about to ask, just like looking at, uh, just glazing it, looking at the review now, it looks like it's not based on either of the prior games. No, it's it has some visual cues, including a statue for the Cat King, <coughs> whose hmm. name I had to look up because I've never seen it in English. Um, <laughs> and um, it has, I mean, the the familiar monsters, whatever you want to call them, some of them are visible. I mean, not the, not necessarily the ones you might recognize, mm -hmm. but things like them are visible uh, throughout the movie. And the entire, like, people having doubles, um, like, doubles between t the two worlds, mm -hmm. and sometimes dealing with a problem on one side will eliminate a problem on the other side, mm -hmm. or cause disaster. Um, yeah, that's a that's a primary plot point. And one of the cooler sequences in the movie is in the real world, trying to save the life of the character's one character's adopted sister, so that her lookalike, the captain of the guard in the fantasy world, will not get her head chopped off. Hmm. That seems important. Yeah, <laughs> things like that. So um, some of the main plot concepts in Nino Kuni are there. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's... Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, like I said, um, one, two, three. Um, third sentence in. Nino Kuni, level five cinematic attempt to keep a series relevant. <laughs> ouch. Earned, but ouch. I like yes. a... I looked at one of these paragraphs and saw the phrase apply to strange sort of hermeneutics to derive. And like, all I could think was like, if I didn't know you had written this, I still probably would have guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh no, I still remember it. I can't remember who it was. It may have been Andrew long back when I wrote the original games review complimented me on actually being able to put the word frontispiece into a review and have it. <laughs> prop. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a signature. That's a shibboleth. Yeah. Oh, not a shibboleth. It's a um, um, legomemnon. Fair. Uh, something or other legomemnon. One of those words that only appears once in an entire body of literature, and we have to trust that somebody knows what it meant. Pretty much. But I mean, yeah. I mean, in terms of like working that kind of word into your reviews is very much a shibboleth of you wrote it, so... Yeah. That, and if I somehow managed to use the word tetrasoidal. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because if you Google that word, you will find one user on a Polish message board and four and three reviews and a translation of a review by me. Of course. Because I'm the only person who has ever used it, because for some reason I'm just remembering an old Tetris commercial from the early 90s where it described a shape as a tetrasoid. Like trapezoid, something zoid, the zoid. Tetrasoid. Yes, you do. And it just stuck in my head, and I never quite shook the fact that it's not a real word. And so, well, you've got trapezoidal, so you can have tetrasoidal, which yep. is what I use whenever a game has any sort of system where you can fit things in by the shape of a block pattern. For the record, I will say that uh, you weren't lying. That is exactly the only Google results that I get, so that's fun. 
Yeah, um, one of them should be like one of the Atelier games. Maybe Asha. Uh, I think it's Sophie. It looks like Sophie. And okay, I yeah, see Sophie. one for Soul Getter. Yeah, Sophie and Soul Getter. The times I've actually used it, I think there and may have been one or two columns that I used it in, but those don't show up on Google much anymore. And there should be a. It's technically a comment on a Jap on a Spanish language um, game re um, list page, but it's basically yeah. a complete Jap a complete Spanish translation of my Soul Getter review. Incredible. Yeah. Which well, I mean, that's... like, okay, that's completely. Um, well, it's not word. Well, it's not complete. Uh, no one asked permission for that. It's. Probably not really ethical, but you know, it's kind of cool. It's hilarious that it happened. Yes, for that game out of all games. Yeah. <laughs> someone had to, someone needed to spread the word about Soul Getter in Spanish. It's an but awesome also game to game. use, and, but also to use your review to do so. <laughs> to translate the entire thing and leave it as a comment on a game page. Yeah. Look, the critics are raving about Soul Getter. The critic is raving about Soul Getter. Yes. Listen, we won't. We will pretend that we are speaking in a non-plural language and let them and let them think about it themselves. <laughs> uh, critic Tachi. Uh, let's see. Yeah, but yeah, I think that about runs us out of my things to discuss. Unless we all just got something. Uh, just I uh, have been playing some Iceborne. Um, oh yeah, I've seen you tweeting about that. Yeah, it's. Oh, so did you see um, any of our news on it that Severin did? And he uh, he is taking Capcom to task on the change in colon placement in the title. I did <laughs> not see that. Did they move the, the colon so, after I mean, world? Originally it was Monster Hunter colon world. And then when they moved it to Iceborne, they said Monster Hunter world colon Iceborne. Oh, jeez. So whenever, whenever he's updating powers. the news with that stuff on that it's always monster hunter colon world iceborne <laughs> i feel like uh, what would have been better is if they had just put monster hunter colon world colon iceborne oh dear the absolute cowards yep um other than that i'm trying something new with um with social media and trying to publish stuff How's that? Uh, it's basically a site where you put up a plot, con um, like a story concept, and you see how many people will um, vote to think that sounds cool. Mm -hmm. And if you get enough votes, you, I mean, technically, if I got five thousand votes for it, I'd get it published. Time to vote, bomb, folks. Yeah, um, but it's like, it's like just, it's like a Kickstarter for, for attention. Basically, <laughs> so like I mean, that's uh, not necessarily the worst idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like fifty votes, I get a production self-help guide. Um, what I really need is the three hundred votes for the promotion self-help guide because I really need some help self-promoting. I'm awful at this. Yeah, but you'd probably be a lot more insufferable if you were inherently good at it. So. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's very much a personality thing. Yeah. And it's really frustrating sometimes when you, like, read an article on how, for example, Fifty Shades of Grey happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one's, that, there's a story there. <laughs> I mean, that's social media manipulation to the wazoo. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, and then also after, for example, reading one of the Witcher novels and realizing, you know, I'm probably better at narrative than this guy is. Um, probably. Um, so, um, it's kind of getting, it's kind of wearing thin on the nerves. Fair enough. Yeah. But yeah. Well, audience, you know where Princesses of Pizza, uh, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor is at. It's still on Amazon, still there for you. Yep. <laughs> yep. And then the, uh, the website I'm talking about is for a different story. It's basically my, uh, attempt at an inverse zombie novel, basically. It's hmm. kind of weird. Um, Good concept. Yeah. It was a great story. Um, like, the four or five people who've beta- been beta reading it all voted immediately. Like, oh, cool, oh, thank I you guys. So I see. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but at this point, I've, I think I've had a total of nine votes for it, and I can put a name to every single one of them. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. We could advertise that if you want, but... uh, (laughs) Go ahead, go ahead. Um, I figured you'd be better at advertising it, but I figured since uh, you were polite enough to hand us the uh, link here, you might be willing to go into that a bit before we shut down. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's... uh, Well, it's... The the website's... um, Soup LLC, so S O O P L L C dot com, mm-hmm. and it's under book ideas. It's, the title is "The Sin of Tantalus" by Michael Yaramizu. Mm-hmm. So, it, nah. hopefully, that's enough to find it. Um, yeah, that's, I can't imagine people wouldn't have would have more trouble than that, but hopefully. Yeah. Soup LLC yeah. book ideas, Sin of Tantalus. Yeah. I'll have to give this a look later. Yeah. And it's probably not the best blurb I could have written, but it had a 1,300 character limit. And <laughs> I was kind of tired, and I took an old um, part of an old um, query letter and just hacked at it until I had the exact um, character length. Mm-hmm. So I, I probably could have done better, but it's what it is. I'm not sure how much I can change. Yeah, what's done is done. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I promise I will give this a look later. So, thank you. And wheels, you should too. Uh, I will. Yeah. But, uh, and do some more reading, wheels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> need, need to ask. Need to ask Matt if he's going to write me any more reviews since he did the first two. Like, please, please be the first reviewer on the other five, seven, <laughs> six, six that are you, currently available. You've got the touch. You've got the power. You're willing to actually ride it. It's like, it's like yeah, you might uh, hear this. So. Have, have uh, you ever, you guys, ever looked into like self or um, independent publication or anything like that? Afraid I haven't. No, no. Um, I'm a terrible writer. Like, Same. <laughs> try, trying to go through, trying to actually find any workable advice online, and one person's like, "Okay, well, um, so if you're doing advertising campaign, expect mate." Try to expect about this number of buys per 100 clicks, and this number of reviews per whatever clicks uh, per whatever buys. And you try, need to try and get more reviews to sell more. And I'm like, you're making too many assumptions about my 
clicks to begin with. <laughs> you're starting with, <laughs> with, this ad, with this ad campaign. Just from the beginning, you're making a very big assumption. <laughs> so, I've actually yeah. sold more by advertising on Twitter at this point than from using Amazon's own advertising service. I'm not that surprised, but it is a shame. <laughs> yeah. So, well then. Now, if I could only get Amazon to actually recognize my bank account for all agents. <laughs> that sure would be nice, wouldn't uh, it? Amazon. I'm pretty sure it's finally accepted it for Canada and the United States, but Germany is a holdout. <laughs> and I actually Germany's had like, three or four people buy the entire series in Germany. I'm not sure how or why this happened. <laughs> so I've got like... I've got like 30 euros from Amazon.de nice. sitting there. Just held up in escrow. In escrow, and I keep getting messages saying, sorry, but we cannot do a payment to from this region. I'm like, what's wrong with you, Germany? Germany is a stickler for security here. Yeah. Uh, uh, honestly, if it were selling better, I just... If it were selling well enough that I could feel like it deserved it, I'd just take the bus up to Fukuoka and open a Citibank account. Yeah, but... But as it is, there are no banks in my town that perform that work on an international level of the sort that would work for all of these marketplaces. That would fix this problem. Yeah. Uh, well, so instead, we can... I've got a nice little Higo Bank. Mm -hmm. Which works perfectly well if you want to pay for something on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, everyone, give uh, give that a look uh, again. Soup LLC book ideas, sin of Tantalus, Michael Yari Mizu. If you can't figure it out from there, I can't help you. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, I think that's about everything we've got. <laughs> Wheels is dead to the world. He's been playing... Oh, he switched to Iceborne for a while. You were on Overwatch. Well then, before Wheels yes, dies... Exactly. Before Wheels dies, uh, let's yes. just uh, close oh. this out. Overwatch was doing a good job keeping me awake until the wait times for a new match started creeping up to like five minutes. So. Gotta love those uh, roll cues. Okay. Uh, oh, and yeah. what, one of the other annoying things about self-publishing here, the number of books that people recommend on how to self-publish, Yeah. when it's really just a way of getting the those people to, or the writers of those books to make m more money. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, that's like, that's when you turn your self-publishing into a pyramid scheme. What yes, is, that's why I sell lots of books. Those. Like my book, buy my book. Buy, buy my yeah. book. And the one where I've actually seen a description of the contents, it includes how to game the algorithms on Amazon properly by just uploading schlock at specific times of the month every, or every month or every week that sounds awful and i would not want to take that advice even if it worked <laughs> yes uh, well i'm sorry for the uh tragic hell that this sounds like it's uh, just it, more of a limbo yeah hell would be more exciting uh 
But yeah, uh, I guess we should probably wrap this. Uh, yeah, before Wheels dies completely. Questions in the usual places, comment section, uh, the Q&A quest section of the RP Gamer Discord, or you can uh, DM me or Wheels on Discord. We will both uh, happily try to keep questions in mind. Yes. But bearing in mind that if we miss a question, as Strawberry Age showed this week, uh, we are always happy for you to just repost it, and that will <laughs> you know, keep us on track. Feel free uh, to ask me about Iceborne. I will have an impression up probably sometime this week. Wheels was so tired, he didn't even get to talk about the game he wanted to talk about. It's great. Yeah, um, my brain's not really functioning right now, so it's for the best. He doesn't get to yeah. talk about that new Gust RPG. Um, Very well! Yeah. You and my niece both love that series, apparently. Um, <laughs> That's the cross-section. Yeah, yeah uh, I mean, as a back-to-school present, I sent her some um, eraser toy animals. Mm-hmm. You could take them apart, put them back together again, and one of the little packages was a set of three hedgehogs. Mm-hmm. And she sta- and her response was that this one, the one with the pink or the pink hedgehog, looked like this character. I had to look Google him. And was like, is she talking about the character, this character from Fairy Tale? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> nice. Yep. Anyway, uh, my parents are going to be in town starting Thursday, so I will not be available for next Tuesday. So okay. feel free to just talk all about it then. Yay. And that'll be the time. Uh, but best of luck, uh, and I guess see you, Space Cowboys. Well, maybe in that case we'll get Matt back on and we'll spend the whole time talking about Yokai Watch. I'll actually just talk about Yakuza a lot. we got to get these out while he's gone, so he doesn't have to sit through them every week. <laughs> all right. Anyway, uh... You already said anything. I'm going to hit the stop button now. See ya, Space Cowboy.